this morning we're looking at Psalm 40. So do you sometimes feel like life is a constant struggle? Do you feel like you go from praising God for an answer to prayer only to find yourself desperately crying out to God for help again for something else? Do you desire to obey him, but you are constantly confronted by your own sin? You're not alone. We studied David and his life um, as a life group a few years ago, and his life is a real roller coaster of ups and downs, as David experienced real highs and lows throughout his life, times of obedience, times of sin, and there were plenty of difficult times. The Psalm of David, Psalm 40, reflects that. This psalm reveals David's trust in God through the tough times and his praise to God in the good times. It reminds us to trust God and turn to him and ultimately this psalm points us to Jesus as the answer to our sin. We're going to look at this psalm in three parts. It's not coming up on the back of the screen. I think you fix that one so let's look at it in three parts. First, David's trust in God, verses 1 to 5. Then David's desire to obey in verses 6 to 10. And then David's cry for help in verses 11 to 17. So let's start in the first part, David's trust in God. So in verse 1 he says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pillars of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walk along. David recalls a time he described as a pit of despair. He was in the mud and the mire. This describes a situation that's impossible to escape from. Imagine you're deep in a hole in the ground that you can't get out of a hole with slippery and boggy mud. A hopeless situation, right? Yet he says he waited patiently for the Lord to help. You know, the only thing that this verse says that David does was cry out to God and wait. But by the description of the situation, he probably didn't have much choice other than to wait. But he didn't just wait, he waited patiently. How are we doing waiting patiently? If we'd written the psalm, would we have not more likely written, I waited impatiently for the Lord? We're not usually very good at waiting for anything without frustration or anxiety, right? I'm not very patient sitting in traffic. It feels like such a waste of time. And it's usually only for a few minutes. How long do you think David waited? We don't really know what he was waiting for in this psalm. But it's likely that the psalm was written at the end of the time that David was on the run from Saul, which was probably likely to be eight or ten years. So how did David, how was he able to be so patient in this difficult situation? To me, the fact that he was patient reveals his faith in God. I feel that to be able to wait patiently requires us to have trust in God, right? It requires us firstly to have trust in God's ability to help. David obviously believed God could save him. And we need to trust 
that our God is the same God, the same all-powerful God that David believed in. To wait patiently requires that we trust God's care of us. We need to believe that God loves us and cares about our situation. We need to rest in him. We need to trust God's plan. We need to understand that God is in control. And despite things not going according to our plan, his plan is better. We also need to trust God's timing. We are impatient because we want things done in our timing. But trusting God requires that we understand that his timing is perfect. You know, the King James and the Amplified Version say, I waited patiently and expectantly for the Lord. The fact that he also waited expectantly reveals that he was confident in God's care of him. These verses also say that he inclined to me and he heard my cry. You know, that word inclined has a sense of God bending down to David to come close to listen to him. And out of this verse in um, Psalm 116, verses 1 to 2, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. I love that. It's because we know he's listening that we pray. It's also comforting to know that the all-powerful creator will bend down and listen to us so intently. So there's several benefits to David's waiting that we see in these verses. Some awesome outcomes of his patient waiting and trust in God. First of all, David is delivered in verse 2. He's lifted out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. Not only is he delivered from the pit of despair, but God continues to be with him to help him. Secondly, David praises God in verse 3. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. God gives David a new song to sing, a spontaneous praise and thanks to him. Much like we've done this morning, right? We've been seeing thanks to God for his faithfulness to us. And thanks, Nick, for leading us in that. Look, David's psalm may have been the psalm that, song that he's talking about that God gave him, may in fact be the psalm that we're reading about today, Psalm 40. Um, you know, is our response the same when God answers our prayer? Perhaps we're not song composers, but maybe we should take and make more of the opportunity to praise God when our prayers are answered. The other reason I have um, other benefit of um, David's patient waiting on God is that God's help is a testimony to others in verse 3. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. It says, they will put their trust in the Lord. The answer to David's prayer has provided a testimony to others to put their faith in God. We should see our answers to prayer as an opportunity to share what God has done for us with others. 
We can each be encouraged by sharing what God has done in our lives with each other. As it says in verse 3, that encourage us, encourages us to put our faith in the Lord. I think life groups are a great place, place to share our prayer needs with others, to be supporting each other, but also to rejoice with each other. When our prayers are answered, we can encourage each other with our answers to prayer. So I encourage you, if you're not in the life group, maybe 2024 is the time to start looking into join one. The other reason is, the other result of his patient waiting is David has joy in verse 4. Over the joys of those who trust in the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. Trusting in the Lord brings joy because he's seen the answers to his prayer. This development of trust in God means less trust in the things of this world. It says that those who trust in the Lord have no confidence in the proud or those who worship idols. And it makes sense, doesn't it? that the more we learn to trust God, the less we trust the things of this world that aren't from God to help us. And the last point I have here is that David sees all the things God has done in verse 5. David's thankful heart doesn't stop at this one answer to prayer that he's been taken out of this pit of despair, but David goes on to give God praise for everything he has done. In verse 5, it says, O Lord my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. It's like the answer to his prayer has built trust in God, which David then recalls all the good things God has done, which increases his trust even more. I think it's easier to trust God, right, when things are going well. However, it's often in the hard times when we need to trust God more. Yeah, I think it would be a great task for us to actually write down all the blessings that we have from God regularly to, to be able to reflect on those, um, just like David did, and recall all the blessings he has. And we need to be in the habit of praising God, remembering and thanking God for everything he has done in the good times so that when the tough times do come, we will be able to continue to praise God and trust in him. I think Paul and Silas in prison in the middle of the night singing hymns to our Lord. In Acts 16, it says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Isn't it amazing? Despite their situation, in chains, in prison, they were praising God. That shows real faith and trust in God, just like we see in David. My challenge is that what are we doing today to make praying and praising God a habit that continues despite our circumstances? Maybe it's setting aside a time each day to pray. Or perhaps it's choosing to listen to worship music in the car. So my applications out of this first um, section is waiting patiently on God requires us to develop trust in him. Trust in God can be developed by reflecting on what God has done 
and we can help others to trust God by sharing what God has done. So, part two, David's desire to obey. And this is um, verses six onwards. So verse six, it says, You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Then I said, Look, I have come, as written about me in the scriptures. I take joy in doing your will, my God. For your instructions are written on my heart. Here David understood that God didn't just want animal sacrifices. God wanted surrendered, willing hearts. What did God desire instead of sacrifice? Obedience. This was true for David's predecessor, Saul. King Saul offered sacrifices just fine. What he didn't do was obey God. And in 1 Samuel, chapter 15, um, Samuel says to Saul, What is more pleasing to God, sorry, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. David desired to obey God, but what is really exciting about these verses 6 to 8 is that they are ultimately fulfilled by Jesus. David only foreshadowed the ultimate submission to God carried out by the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus' sacrifice did away with the offerings and sacrifices. Jesus came as foretold in his word. Jesus came to do God's will. These same verses that we've just looked at from Psalm 40 are quoted in Hebrews, speaking of Jesus. And these verses from um, Hebrews 10, verses 4 to 10. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You do not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as written about me in the scriptures. First Christ said, you don't want animal sacrifices, this is from verse 8, or sin offerings, or burnt offerings, or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, although they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. And this last part's really cool in verse 10. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. So what David wrote about in this psalm hundreds of years before Jesus was actually fulfilled through Jesus that Jesus came to do away with the need for sacrifice once and for all. Jesus was a sacrifice in our place. Jesus delivers us from sin. David's psalm is a prophecy of Jesus' work, right? It shows Jesus' willingness to do the will of the Father and be an offering for us. 
So what does this tell about us about our relationship with God? Well, we can't please God through offerings and sacrifices. What God wants is our hearts and our lives. He doesn't want a token sacrifice. God prefers obedience. But we're never going to be perfectly obedient because we continue to sin. As you'll see in the next section of the psalm, which we'll look, go to in a minute. Therefore, we need to rely on the sacrifice of Jesus in our place to be right with God. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father. David said in verse 6 that God made him listen so that he would understand. Now this tells me that God wants listening, surrendered servants willing to do his will. David said, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. So he took joy in doing God's will. Notice that joy in doing God's will is a result of God's instructions written on his heart. So how do we get instructions from God written on our heart? Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I will study your commandments and reflect your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. This should encourage us to spend more time in his word, right? We need to be in the habit of taking his word, reading, memorizing, and meditating on it. Based on the psalm, the more we're in his word, and the word is in our hearts, the more we all delight in doing his will. So, my application from this section, the main points, is God desires our hearts of obedience to him. Christ is the sacrifice in our place. Experiencing God's salvation and love should result in us wanting to do his will joyfully. So, Third part, this is from um, verses 17 onwards, which is David's cry for help. So verse 11, Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins pile up so high I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. David says his sins are more than the hairs on his head. You know, the average person has about 100,000 hairs on their head. Blondes have 150,000, roughly. Redheads, about 90,000. Obviously, it depends on how old you are. So, probably David had black hair, I'm guessing. The actual number of hairs on his head isn't the point, is it? David is making the point that his sins are beyond counting. Have you ever tried to count up your sins, say, for the past year, month, or even week? It would be a sobering task, right? That seems to be the point at which David is at here, when he says, My sins pile up so high, I can't see my way out. 
Despite him just expressing his desire to obey God in the previous verses, the reality is he still sins. In Matthew chapter 10, um, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says that God the Father knows how many hairs are on our head. The whole of this chapter in Matthew is about Jesus sending out the 12 apostles. He tells them to go and announce that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. He tells them not to be afraid from the people who want to kill them. And then he says in verse 29, What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. The point Jesus is making here is that the all-powerful God who created the universe knows them so intimately to know how many hairs on their head and that God cares for each of them and all the smallest details in their lives. God cares for us in the same way. No detail in our lives is insignificant to God. No matter what you're going through, it matters to God, and you matter to God. God cares for us that much. Jesus and the disciples would have known David's Psalm 40 that we're looking at today. And it's like Jesus turns around that psalm and uses it as an illustration of God's care. That God is so concerned for you that he even knows the number of hairs in your head. It's like he's saying that God knows your sin and loves and cares for you despite your sin. We can be crippled by looking at our own sin as David was and say, they outnumber the hairs in my head. I've lost all courage, or as the NIV says, my sins have overtaken me. This reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 7. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? We can thank, be just as thankful as Paul that we have, that Jesus is the answer, right? We are made right with God through Jesus, his once and for all sacrifice for our sin. Throughout the end of the psalm, David repeatedly calls for help. Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me, in verse 11. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. Verse 13, please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. And verse 17, as for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my saviour. O my God, do not delay. In the midst of his trouble and sin, David relies on God's character. David knows God, his tender mercy, unfailing love, and faithfulness, and is, is his helper and saviour. 
Don't we need to know God's character ourselves so that when we face hard times, we'll be able to trust in God as David does. We will be able to rely on his mercy, his unfailing love, and his faithfulness. I think it is difficult to have this kind of faith and trust in the hard times unless we've spent time knowing God when life is easier. David also knows that God thinks about him. Isn't that amazing to consider that God thinks of us? There's a quote here from Charles Spurgeon, which I love. He, and he quotes, um, this is Charles Spurgeon, he thought, upon, uh, sorry, he thought upon you, and he thinks upon you still. When the father thinks of his children, he thinks of you. When the great judge of all thinks of the justified ones, he thinks of you. O Christian, can you grasp the thought the eternal Father thinks of you? So my thoughts from this last section is that God provides the answer to our sin. God cares for us. And we can turn to God in the hard times. So I've titled Psalm 40, You Can Put Your Trust in God Because He Cares for You. And I hope that you may feel the same way after my message this morning, that you can put your trust in God. In this psalm, we have seen David's patient trust in God through difficult situations. His praise to God for deliverance. His desire to obey and the confession of his sin. The psalm ends with a cry for help to God again. I found this quote here, which I think sums up the psalm quite well. Psalm 40 begins with praise and ends with a plea to God to come and help and do it quickly. That order is not as satisfying, but is more like real life. It's not your average movie, movie plot, right, where it begins... And ends with a happy, it begins with a problem and ends with a happy ending. One remarkable act of rescue with subsequent praise is not the end of the story ever. Before the day is over, there is more trouble again and again. Psalm 40 reminds us that Yahweh, it is to Yahweh that we must turn in trouble as well as joy when we're in the pit and when we're on the peak. David's hope and trust remains firmly in God. He trusts God because he has seen God deliver him in the past. And David knows God's character. We trust in the same God that David trusted. Our all-powerful God of mercy, unfailing love and faithfulness. A God we can put our trust in. This psalm reminds us to turn to God in the good times and the bad because we can trust him, because he cares for us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life of David as a real example to us of what it is like to trust you 
and we ask that um, you enable us to trust you in the same way, that um, we can rely on your faithfulness, um, your mercy, and your love, that we can know that you know us intimately like you know all the hairs of our head, um, that we can rely on Jesus being the sacrifice for our sins, that we can turn to you in times of trouble, Lord, and rely on you because we can trust you. We thank you for this morning and for the message that you brought to us, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.